I'm going to bring a message today that's all about how can we relate to others. Uh, not in the church, but those outside the church. Before we get there, I want to ask you a question. Uh, Dublin, I want to ask you, Navin and Doc, here's the question. What would you like to be known for? When your time finishes here on earth, when you move on to wherever you're going to go next, wherever you believe in, if you f- retire from your job or if you cho- change career or move city or move country, as you move on, what do you want to be known for? Would you be known for a, for a person who's been generous, who was kind, who was compassionate, that was willing to help, you know, wasn't so self-centered, or would you be known as a person who is the opposite, right? So what would you want to be known for? And here's the truth. Here's the reality, and everyone knows this. People are often remembered by what they were known for. For example, consider this picture here. Diego Maradona. Perhaps, debatable, the greatest soccer player to ever live. It depends on where you're from. If you're Brazilian, you don't believe it. You don't believe it. Okay, Pele, Pele, it all depends where you're from, you know. But uh, Diego Maradona is famous or infamous for a, a very uh, famous moment that happened in the World Cup between Argentina and England. And it was a very heated match because of the whole Falkland Wars. The soccer match was quite heated. But Diego Maradona uh, basically scored a goal by handballing it over the goalie into the net and they titled it The Hand of God. But Diego Maradona is known, and he's now passed away, was known and known for that moment and for being a soccer player, okay? Consider Robin Williams. It was an actor who tragically passed away a couple of years ago. But this man shaped my childhood, people. Like Aladdin, come on, he's the original genie, you know what I mean? Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, there were so many movies that he was part of. And he shaped a generation. Like for me growing up in the 90s and the 2000s, this man really you know, just shaped me and, and, our, and our culture by his comedy and by his smile. You know, everyone just loved Robin Williams and when he when he had passed away to, to suicide it shocked the whole world because he was known for being funny and and being kind and being considerate but little did we know that he had you know things happening uh, inside of his life or consider Mother Teresa she gave her whole life to serve the least of those everyone knows who she is and what she has done that she devoted her entire life to, to help those who were in need, to help those who were lacking. And we know her and we talk about her still. Even it's reference when someone does a kind gesture. Ah, look at you, Mother Teresa. You know, like, like it's something that we say. But we know that and she was known for that. But a question I want to ask today, and, and, and I understand in the room and in that Navin and in Doc here in Dublin, there are people here who have faith, who know God, who, who are part of Lighthouse. And perhaps you're here today you don't have faith. Maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you're an atheist. Maybe you're here because someone tricked you to be here. Maybe you thought a movie was on, but it's not. I'm here. Hello. Hello. You know, if, you don't know why you're here, but you're here for a reason. You know, the question that I want to ask to the church and for those who are skeptical, you can watch in and see how we're having this conversation. But here's a question I want to ask us. What about Christians? What should or what are Christians known for? What is the church known for? What should you and I be known for in a 21st century Ireland? Here's the thing. Sadly, and I say sadly with a capital S because I can spell. Sadly, many skeptics state their case for unbelief. Maybe you're here today. This is you. You state your case for unbelief due to what church and Christians are known for. 
Perhaps in this situation, you hear and you have some preconceptions of what Christians are like and what the church is like, okay? Perhaps you have conjured up in your mind what you think is true. And the reality is church, for those who are Christians, this is why people think we are unrelatable. Because in their mind, they have this idea of who you are and what church is like. And that's very valid because based on how they were raised, you know, if you're raised in a certain faith, certain church, a certain culture, context, you know, it, but, but what you've seen, how you've seen the church treat other people, listen, we can't control that. And often it's sad and, and I apologize, you know what I mean, on behalf of this church, but like, that has happened and I can't take away that that happened. But the reality is people are in this place, in this room or in our society who believe church and Christians are a certain way because of what has happened before. Actually, a lot of people who are skeptical or who, who don't believe think Christians are like this. We have our head in the clouds. That we surf around the clouds all day. Look at Sam there, just surfing around the clouds. Going super value and going to get his hair cut and going to Costa Coffee. Look, look at Sam's family. All his kids are perfect. All the girls wear nice dresses, got their hair done. Wife's always looking great. Sam looks like a mess, but it's okay. You know, like, but reality is that one minute into my household, it is chaos. It is crazy. But a lot of people feel like they cannot relate to Christians or the church because we have our head in the clouds and we're out of touch. We're not in reality. Or perhaps they think we're holy haters. Like that. Holy haters. That for some reason they assume this church is that kind of church where we would stand with pickets and fences and tell you how you're wrong and how you should be ashamed and how God hates you so we hate you. And for people in the room who are skeptical go, that's why I don't go to church. That's why I think God does not love me. Because if they're angry, their God must be angry, right? Or perhaps Ned Flanders, The Simpsons. Oh, maybe some of these Christians are high diddly Christians. Howdy, neighbor. I mean, no one in The Simpsons TV show is a great tension between Homer Simpson and The Simpsons family, which was chaotic. And right next door, there was the Flanders, who were always perfect and all went to church and the garden was always well kept and the kids were well mannered and the wife did all the chores and Homer Simpson and a marriage would always feel like you know guilty because it couldn't be like the family next door and and reality is that's not true that's not true that's not real like reality is Ned Flanders is not a real caricature of what a real Christian looks like in our context today but perhaps people think I cannot relate to Christians because we're all like Ned Flanders they all have nice clothes and have mustaches and glasses and hair you know what I mean, right? But the bottom line is this. Here's the bottom line. Christians are often known for not being loving, kind, and relatable. Now, I don't say everyone thinks that, but the majority, of, especially in our context in Ireland, Christians and the church, the people in the church, are often known for not being loving, not being kind, and not being relatable. This is really ironic and really sad. For me as a pastor, for me as a Christian, I didn't grow up in a Christian household. I didn't grow up in a, I, I didn't inherit this faith. I wasn't indoctrinated by this faith. I had a radical encounter with a God that's real and he's changed my life. So I have experienced this and I've experienced his love. So it's ironic and sad for me. Why? Because what's supposed to separate our faith, the Christian faith, the Christian church from every other faith is by how we love. It's, it's by how we, it's a separating factor of who we are. And what's sad and ironic is that culture says we can be the opposite. It can be the opposite. They're not loving. 
You're just the same as everyone else. But the reality is church and in Abend and Dock and Dublin here, listen to me. This is the reality. Loving people is supposed to be our thing. It's supposed to be our message and it's supposed to be our thing. Other faiths, other beliefs have their things. They have rituals. They have certain traditions. They have certain laws, certain customs. That's their thing. But our thing, the Christian faith, the gospel of Christ is one of love. That's our message. But actually what, what I think is happening here, and it's okay, but today that's why I want to bring this message on this series, How, How Can We Relate? Is I actually feel like Christians and the church, especially our church, because all I'm talking about is our church, is that I feel like we're being misrepresented. And that's okay. Maybe again, you, you've experienced some things, but we, maybe we've been misrepresented. And today I want to just add clarity and to help us as the Christians in the room, how can we, you know, clean that up? How can we actually show people we are not what they think? That we are not the Ned Flanders or the angry or the, the holy haters or the person in the clouds all the time. Actually, we're people that they can relate to. We have a God that can relate to them. So the question I want to ask them today is, how do you and I relate to others when it comes to our faith? How do we break down those walls of preconceptions, which actually I call misconceptions and how can we actually relate to others by our faith and showing love so we're going to turn to uh, the gospel of matthew today so you've got your bible you can take it out or on your phone um the gospel of matthew it's in the new testament matthew is an eyewitness account it's a letter uh, about jesus and all his ministries and uh, today we're going to look at a story in chapter 22 verse 34 to 40 and i'm going to give you context in a minute but also to let you know in our church we use an app called YouVersion. It's a fantastic app that, uh, you know, if you download it and get set up and signed in, on the bottom right hand of the screen, there is a, a sentence of more. Click in more, you got events. And you click in events, you got all these services. And you can see Dublin for you guys or for Navend and Doc for you guys. Click on that and all my notes are in there. I have some extra stuff in there too that you can follow along. But here's what's happening in match 22, 34 to 40. In this context, Jesus, right? This is the time Jesus is on earth doing his ministry, okay? And in this time, up until this, this chapter, Jesus is being tested by religious leaders, by men who thought that they were more powerful, more smarter, and more pious than anyone. And they, they had a mission. They had a message. They were known for doing these things. That they, Because they were intellectual, because they knew everything, they were above society. So these religious leaders uh, were, were questioning Jesus, okay? They, didn't, they, they, they weren't... Uh, uh, satisfied, they didn't believe that Jesus was who he says he was, so they wanted to trick him out. They thought he was a false prophet, right? So, for example, at that time when this, this letter was written, Rome had ruled Israel, and so what that meant was people had to pay taxes to Caesar. So, one of the questions we got asked is, Who should we pay our taxes? Should we pay it to Caesar? And Jesus answers, Whose face is on the coin? Well, Caesar, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, render to God what is God's. What a great answer, they were surprised. And before this text, we have the Sadducees. Now, Sadducees were a, 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 a certain sect of, of, of um, you know, staunch believers, staunch religious leaders who didn't really believe in the resurrection. They had their own thoughts. And so they asked Jesus the same question, what do you think about the resurrection? You know, and, and same thing Jesus answers. And, and here we find ourselves in verse 34. And now we have the Pharisees who are another sect of, of um, religious leaders who are different to the Sadducees. They're trying to catch Jesus out because they don't think he, he really is who he says he is. 
He shouldn't be a teacher. I shouldn't have authority. They're trying to diminish his voice. So they, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. They got together because they wanted to do They wanted to trap Jesus. This was their moment. Their religious leaders had tried to trap Jesus. So they're like coming together and go, okay, how do we get him out? How do, how do we catch him out with this? Because we don't think he is who he says he is. So verse 35, it says, One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. This expert of the law would have been a scribe who would have literally devoted his entire life to studying 613 laws. I'm going to be honest. I could barely study seven subjects from my leaving source. Don't judge me, okay? I couldn't, right? But here we have a man who would devote his entire life to 613 laws. This man was an know-it-all. He was a scribe and he was an expert. So they brought this man in to test Jesus. And the question they asked him that would test him is this. Verse 36, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Again, this is in a Jewish context. So these, these men were Jewish uh, religious leaders. They were referring to the Jewish laws of 613. Now, can you imagine the scene? This was like a modern day era. They'd have their social media out. Their Instagram would be on. Their TikTok, it's live. We're like, okay, guys, we're going to catch this guy Jesus out. So here comes the scribe. The scribe's going to vibe. He's going to catch teacher out. Let's go. They're all like waiting. They're all trying to, trying to publicly, you know, um, humiliate this man called Jesus and disqualify everything he's done by thinking this question will really trick him. Because reality is, this question, if Jesus gets it wrong, it's dangerous territory. It's very dangerous. Why? Because Jesus could lose his teaching authority and influence if he gets it wrong. If he gets it wrong. So the scribe asks him, teacher, in your opinion, what is the most, you know, what is the most superior commandment? What is the greatest commandment? They're waiting. They're waiting for Jesus to fall. They're waiting for him to slip. And Jesus, being God, being the very one that created the laws, says this in verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I can imagine the crowd were like stunned. Jesus has answered this question perfectly. Why? Because he has defined the entire law into its core principles. Meaning they were stunned and it was a mic drop moment. These guys thought that caught him out. But Jesus ends up summarizing the entire 613 laws with two commandments. Second commandment is this. The second one is love your neighbor as yourself. And this wouldn't have been alien to the believers at the time, the Jewish believers, because this would have been part of the Old Testament faith to love your neighbors. But to love your neighbor, it's literally love the person beside you at the time. And listen, it's easy to love people who are like you. Especially all these religious leaders and Pharisees and Sadducees. They lived in nice houses and nice places. They would have had neighbors that were like them, looked like them, talked like them. So it was easy to relate to people that looked like them. But Jesus is saying, actually, you love everyone. Everyone. And that's not a feeling. It's an action. It's an action to consider others and their needs. And verse 40, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus stuns. These leaders, these religious leaders, they, 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 they walk away. The mic is dropped. They couldn't trick him. And little did the scribe know, like I said, he was an expert of the law, but he was talking to the one who created the laws. God. Of course, he knows he's gonna, how he's going to answer. 
out of this text, come back into our message, I have two questions. And the first question is this, regarding what Jesus said, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Well, the reality is your neighbor is someone who has this, a beating heart. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Y'all, you're too kind with your claps. Just a picture, guys. Calm down. A beaten heart. Your neighbor is someone who has a beaten heart and has blood flowing through their body. It doesn't matter about the color of their skin. No matter what they believe or don't they believe in. No matter where, where they go, where they don't go, what to do, what don't do. God has called us to love him with everything and love others with everything. So our neighbor is someone who has a beaten heart. Your neighbor is your enemy. Hello. Your neighbor is the person that hurt you, that betrayed you. Your neighbor is that annoying neighbor or that annoying colleague or that annoying friend. That's your neighbor. Jesus is saying you are to love everyone. And what's so cool here is the Merriam-Webster dictionary actually quotes from the Bible on its definition for neighbor. It says, you know, our fellow man or our fellow woman. And basically what it's saying is a neighbor is actually not a geographical neighbor. is isn't someone who just lives inside your house. Actually, it's all people. It's all people. So to answer the first question, who is our neighbor? It's everyone. It's everyone. We don't pick and choose who our neighbors are, people. You watch Jesus in his ministry. He went to all people. He went to the prostitutes. He went to the sick. He went to those who were taking advantage of poor people. He went to everyone. Why? Because everyone's important to God. Everyone's important to Jesus. So if that's the case, they must be important to us in the church. But sadly, the church has been known for picking and choosing people who are their neighbors. That's not true. Our neighbors are everyone, are all people. And we're called to love all people. So the question, the second question I asked then from this text is this. How then can I relate to my neighbors? How then can I relate to all these people around me? How then can I relate to those who are skeptical, who are unsure, who have these preconceptions, misconceptions, and are misrepresenting us in who we are and what should we be doing? I'll give you three points. Very, look, this is going to be very practical today, okay? These three points. For the next 20 minutes, I'm going to break down three ways in simply and practically in how we can become more relatable to those who don't know Jesus in our lives. Number one, be inviting. Be inviting. I don't mean just be inviting to church. That's important. That's really important. But be, when you are inviting, what does that mean? That you're open. You're, you're, um, you're aware. Your head is up. Your eyes are open. When you're inviting someone somewhere, you're looking at them and they say, hey, come with me to my house for dinner. Or come to the cinema or come to church. Okay. We all know what it means to be inviting. But often what we see here that people are too busy to pay much attention to those around them. Often people are too busy when it comes to life and the rat race of life that we're not inviting. But the reality is, Christians, especially you today here, you are surrounded by people. People surround you everywhere you go. Wherever I go, we are surrounded by people. And how we walk, how we look, how we talk, can tell someone if we are inviting or not. Now listen, I understand we have bad days. There are days you go on the bus to college and the last thing you want to do is talk to someone. I get it. 
The last thing you want to do is go put the seat beside you and give someone, right? No, I want my seat. You know what I mean? I, I understand so many of you are not, are not morning people. You're pretty much the opposite of godly in the mornings. You know what I mean? Some of you here are not evening people. I, I, look, we're all humans. But the point I make you today is, reality is that if you're not willing to be inviting, to be open, to be looking ahead to who's around you, people won't look at you, won't connect with you. And I live in a village in the, uh, uh, not too far from here. And I walk my kids to school and I go to the local coffee shop. And what I'm learning more and more today is that people don't look at each other anymore. People walk past each other with their heads down on their phones and don't look at each other anymore. And it breaks my heart. So I've gone as a personal mission to not be on my phone. If I'm in the bus or if I'm walking, I lift my head up. I'm scanning. I'm wondering, what's that person going through? Where are they coming from? Where are they going to? What's happening in their life? If I'm in a coffee shop, I'll people watch. I'll think of someone, I go, what's their scenario? What are they going through? And what I've learned is a simple hello, a smile or a kind gesture can go a long way. Here's why church, and here's why skeptic, because you notice, just, you just don't know, or you never know what someone else may be going through. You just never know what someone else might be going through. That a smile or a hello or a kind gesture can change not only someone's day, but their entire week. There are people who walk around this city of Dublin and it's full of people but still feel alone. Isn't that mad? You could be in this room right now and still feel alone. Because you're going through something. I don't know if you've seen uh, Norwich Football Club had released a video last week on how to spot the signs of people who are going through depression, who are basically suicidal. And it's an amazing video. And honestly, it really stunned me and really convicted me and shocked me. And if you haven't watched it, watch it. But it's a fantastic video. But on the point of, you just never know what someone's going through. The postman, the person who's cutting you off in traffic, you know, your, 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 your person in Super Value or Tesco or Aldi or Lidl or that, that lecture in university or you know, I mean, that person in your class, you just don't know what they're going through. They're going through something. And I, and I know this because I grew up with a couple of friends, there's a group, bunch of us, there's eight of us growing up. Four of my closest friends have all committed suicide over the last 10 years. And it breaks my heart because I go, first of all, how did I not see the signs? Where did I go wrong? Was I inviting enough? Was I, you know, looking up? And the reality is, guys, I didn't see the signs. Because most times it's very hard to see them. But the, the most important thing I learned from this, from this you know, lesson with my friends, which breaks my heart, is that, man, I'm assuming that everyone's going through something. Which then creates empathy. Right? Creates a, a sense of that like you're, there's more to just your life and your problems. I have a story to share. Um, a picture here of, oh, oh, that's my mic. Picture of Mother Gothel. Gothel, Irish Gothel. Mother Gothel, okay? Now, I have four daughters, so I'm very, you don't have to notice, but she is part of a movie called Rapunzel, which I've watched five million times. I actually have played a part in this movie, recreated my home, my girls. I'm the, the, the horse, the stallion, doesn't talk. Um, but that's just my life. Um, but uh, I actually have a story. When I, I used to work in Costa when I was younger. I started off in, uh, in Lighthouse 10 years ago on staff. Can you imagine that? 10 years ago, I came on staff as a youth pastor at 20 years of age. I don't know what Jamie was thinking. Uh, he really trusted me, still does. But, um, you know, but I started, we were in Bible college, and Sarah and I got married at 20 years of age, starting off our life together. But I had to go get a job, you know what I mean? Because it's one thing to get married, and it's another thing to provide for your marriage. You know what I mean? So I had to go get a job. 
So I started working in Costa and I actually loved it because Costa was a great place that complemented my ministry. Why? Because in a coffee shop, what are you surrounded by? Not just coffee, but people, right? People. And there was this lady that every day came to Costa and she looked like Mother Gothel. Now, I actually Googled angry grandmother picture, but I didn't want to use one because that actually is someone's grandmother. <laughs> so I used this instead, okay? Just give it, it could be anyone's grandmother. I don't want to show This is on video, okay? But her story, this lady's story is every day she come in and she was so grumpy, so cranky. She was mean and she was short-tempered and was like throwing the money at, at us and the cashiers, you know, questioning the coffee standards, all these things. And I, I made it my personal mission to soften this woman. I, I, I want my love to outweigh her hatred. Do you know what I mean? I, I want to show her that I, I care, you know? So basically for months, this is, this is months, she come every day at the same time and the same kind of spirit, crouched shoulders, looking like her, um, you know, and, uh, and after a while, I was able to kind of cop on to what her order was. So what coffee did she like and what cake? So I would say, like, if I'm in a till, like, hey, look, take a seat, I'll meet you. She's like, no, no, no. And I said, no, take a seat, I'll bring over your order, you know, and once, twice, I may give her a free one because I was like, good at the time. Um, that's not on the record, okay? Um, but, you know, I gave her, I, I bless her and be generous. And then, long story short, guys, over time, just me recognizing her, me seeing her within the crowd of all the customers. She stopped me one day and grabbed by the hand. She goes, why do you do this? Like, why do you care? And again, I, I, I wish I had like some preachy answer. Well, God spoke to me and said he loves you. I didn't say that. I was like, I just care. And she started crying. Then as talking to her, I learned her story in that just previously, she lost two of her sons to a tragic accident in Australia. And her husband passed away a couple of years ago to a major heart attack. She had nobody. And she was angry with God, with herself, with her husband, with her sons, because they, were, they were, shouldn't have been doing it in Australia. You know, all these, she had all these mixed emotions. I was able to tell her about my faith and my story and my upbringing and, and how I share in her anger and her pain. And straight away, we could relate. Why? Because I cared for her. Because I was inviting. And I wonder right now, who in your life can you be, you know, available to and be inviting to, okay? That's the first point. Number two, be intentional. Be intentional. Think how you can become more relatable to your neighbors. This guy, this is highly pragmatic. Listen, evangelism is a lot more practical than you think. People think evangelism is standing on a box in the middle of a high street in the city saying, here he, here he, the time is nigh, turn or burn. Right? You think that, that's not really evangelism, that's some sort of evangelism, but actually evangelism is how you live. How you represent God in your, in your walk and in your talk, in your work ethic, in your study. People see Christ in your actions every day. It's actually a lot more practical than you think. So the question I always ask when it comes to people who I want to connect with who don't know God, who are skeptical or don't want to come to church yet, I'll say, hey, what do we have in common? And perhaps it's an interest. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's, a, you know, it's some kind of like, you know, show or movie or what, maybe it's where we're from or whatever. Maybe it's a hobby. Like I play golf, I play rugby, so you know, I can connect people who play golf and rugby. Or maybe you have a hobby and you can connect people who have hobbies. Perhaps it's a, it's a work. Maybe if you're a nurse, they're a nurse. Or if you're a, a carpenter, he's a carpenter. You know, or, or whatever. You, know, you, can, you can relate to her. Maybe you're a student, she's a student. You understand each other by, by being students and what that looks like. Or perhaps it's pain. 
Maybe you had a miscarriage. They had a miscarriage. Maybe you went through clinical depression. They're going through clinical depression. Maybe you lost a loved one. They lost a loved one. Maybe you're, just, you know, you're going through a lot of pain and so have they. And you'd be so surprised how people who have pain can relate to each other so much. So, so much. Or perhaps it's regrets. You have some regrets. You've made some bad choices and they've made some bad choices and together you have that in common. And all of a sudden, you actually can relate to people quicker than you think. Why? Because reality is we're all human. We all have interests. We all have hobbies. We have some sort of work or duty. We all know pain and we all have regrets. Right? So we can relate to people more than we can think. And your message and your life through all these is woven in how people can see God in your life. But where you live and where you do life is not by accident. God has you there on purpose. And we can relate to others when we are intentional. And reality is, church, this really was a challenge I had early on in my Christian faith. Because when I became a Christian, my friends would, you know, just say, Oh, Sam, you're trying to convert me. You're trying to convert me. You're too friendly because you want to convert me. And I learned quickly, man, it's not enough just to be friendly. i got to be a friend. Like, I can't come across like, Hey, I, I'm friendly but I got to be a friend. And this story really hit home to me because I, I told you, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a council estate in Carlo. It was a mad place, you know, where we were from. Uh, I grew up in a very broken home. Many of you would know Jamie shared the stories with my dad and what we grew up with. Um, I was the youngest of four boys. So, you know, we're all part of that. And, um, you know, growing up, I had a certain set of friends. And in a council estate, you grow up with friends and they're, they're your, they're, that's your family. That's your unit. You're stuck together because of, Bad choices and, and trouble, which we all caused. And the guards hated us and we hated them. That was bottom line. So, so that, that's where we were from. But when I, became, when I became a Christian, I got invited to a church like this. Actually, it was Lighthouse in Navan on Easter Sunday, 2011. Jamie, my brother, had tricked me to come to church. He got me, right? But basically, he basically, come church and I'll, I'll buy you lunch. I'm in. Got me lunch, I'm in, you know? But I really had no time for this God thing, for this Christian thing. I had no time for it. My life externally was great. I was playing rugby. I had rejected the rugby. You had all the friends, you know, had the women. All I needed was a typical young Irish lad in, in Ireland. But anyway, I got invited to church and my life changed in the moment. I quickly realized God's not mad at me. He's mad about me. He's in love. So I go back to Carlo and says, boys, listen to me. Lads, listen. We're all wearing our tracksuits and our Nikes. Listen, lads. I became a Christian. And they go, what's that? I don't know. Don't know what it is, but it has changed me and something's different. I didn't expect actually how that would affect my friends. Because they began to grieve and mourn the old me. Because I was the one that led us as friends. They'd always come to my house, stay in my place. I'd always be the one that would kind of lead us into stuff, good and bad. You know, I didn't realize actually how hard they would have found that me coming to faith. And I was young and I was naive and I made mistakes. Of course I did, you know. But it was one particular friend who just really, was really hurt. And now that I see it, but back then, it was hard for me because we were really close for such a long time. And because I got personal faith, there was a wedge between us, but he would make fun of me. He would publicly humiliate me. He would put stuff online. He would call me certain things. And I was just so hurt. And I was like, I didn't respond. I just felt like, gosh, you know, I thought we were friends. I thought he would know me, but he would publicly do this to me, okay? So then, of course, naturally over time, we kind of separated into our own paths. And years go on, he finds himself in a very difficult situation where he's seeking serious help. I don't know why, but the person he turned to, and we haven't talked for years at this point, was to me. So one day I got a random DM, which is a, a direct message on Instagram, for those who don't know what that is. A DM. He slid into my DMs, and I was like, what's he doing here? Direct message. Hi, Sam. 
Remember me? Love the chat. I'm in trouble. And I was like, I don't want to talk to him. He doesn't deserve my time. But I just felt like, no, no, Sam, get over yourself. Help him. And long story short, had coffee. And he was in a lot of trouble. And I was going to give him some advice. I was able to pastor him, love him. But I asked him, like, why, why did you, like, why did you reach out to me? And he goes, Sam, I remember how much you cared for me, even when I made fun of you. I remember that you, you, you stood your ground and you didn't react to me. And I still remember years later how you still cared for us and the lads with all the funerals and all the mishaps and everything. You still showed up and you were still there. And I just blew my mind because I didn't do anything. I, I, honestly, guys, I wasn't like I was, again, this perfect, pious person. You know, I actually, you know, I didn't want to talk to him. But because I was intentional, because... I, I, I was understanding that these guys, I love them and I care about them and they're going through some things. I'm, I'm just going to be friend, be a friend. Not friendly, but, but be a friend. And, uh, and then that happens. And I wonder again, in your life, you know, can you go the extra mile and not just be friendly, but become a friend? Can you actually be intentional with who you work with and who God has surrounded you with? And How can you actually be a blessing? How can you actually be a friend? Because the reality is they're going through some things and they need someone. Number three, final point, be invigorating. To invigorate is to energize, to energize someone. We all know what it looks like to have someone in our life who's very energetic. Come on, that person had 100 prime cans or 100 Red Bull cans. They're on cloud nine. All There's like 100 mile an hour. You know, we all know what it's like to be someone who's very energetic. That's a bit too much, okay? But we also understand what it means to know a person who's the opposite of, you know, being energetic or um, invigorating. We all know someone who can, can, you know, basically take a lot of energy out of us, can be life-sucking. We all know what it means to have someone in our workplace or in our home or in our friendship group who just takes the life out of everyone, either by their complaining or their victim mentality or the tension's always on them, it's always self-seeking. We know what that looks like, where we get to be invigorating, meaning we get to be life-given. We get to be life-given in, in who we are and what we do. Why? Because we carry a message that gives life. The message we carry brings life. What is the message we carry? It's the, it's the gospel. It's the gospel that Christ came and died and rose again so we could have life and life to the full. That wherever we go, wherever you work, wherever you go shopping, wherever you get your hair cut, wherever you go swimming, wherever you go gymming, you get to be the person that can invigorate that place. Why? Because you carry a message that gives life. But here's the tension. Here's where the skeptic go, but Sam, this is the disconnect. Here's why I have a problem. Here's why so many Christians are known not for being loving, but being the opposite. Why? Our lives then should reflect that message. So many of us carry it, but don't reflect it. It's like having a mirror, but you turn it the other way. What's the point then? You can't see, you can't see anything. Where if we turn the mirror around, we reflect Christ. Jesus says that I am the light of the world, which is him. But it says we are the light of the world, meaning that we reflect his light to others. But we carry a message that brings life. And you know, and I know, in this day and age, in society today, people are lacking hope, are lacking a sense of life. And you carry the very message that can bring hope to humanity. It's not a thing, it's not a pill, it's not a bottle, it's not a substance, it's not a line of cocaine, it's not going to this clinic, not watching that online. That hope is a person and his name is Jesus. And we carry that message. I have seen that message change 
people's lives. Your words, your actions, your lifestyles can invigorate others. <coughs> Excuse me. So bottom line is you have a story. Navin, Dundalk, Dublin, you all have a story. Especially today if you have faith. And the story is this. That you were once dead in your sins and now you're alive in Christ. You now have the wonderful privilege to call Jesus your Lord and Savior. You have this message in your, on your life. Now we're to reflect it. And you have to become confident in your story. Become confident in your story that when you share your story, it can invigorate someone. It can inspire someone. Why? Because, listen, I'm a preacher. So I'm preaching today. You're, all, you're probably like, you know, if you're around church a long time, you're, you're used to this, you might go, oh, Sam, check, check Sam's theology, check Sam's structure of preaching. You know, you can look at it in a critical way because I'm publicly preaching a text from the Bible, bringing you a message. But if I was just here telling you my story, you would have no say. Why? Because it's subjective. It's mine. It's my story. It's what I went through. And you can't say anything about that. So I share my story to you, either accept it or not, but it's my story. And you have your story. And your story is the message that you carry, which is that you can bring life. Why? Because life is in you. So please, if you're here and you're a Christ follower, do not hide your light. Jesus said, what good is it to have it under, under, under a lampshade? What good is it to hide the light that you have? You get to penetrate the darkness of wherever you go by the message that you carry. You get to invigorate people's lives by, not even by how you talk, but how you walk and how you live, how you love your spouse, how you love your kids, and how you love your friends and neighbors. So church, let's take control of what we can be known for. More than ever, we need to become more relatable. Now more than ever, what's going on right now with all the division, and all the confusion, and all the chaos, okay? When I say relatable, I do not mean, this is important for Christians, to become relatable does not mean you drop your standards and you drop your priorities and principles of a Christian faith. You live by your principles and you live by your standards, but you can still relate. That's what Christ did. Christ never dropped his standards, never dropped his beliefs to be relatable. He was able to be relatable because he loved. And more than ever, we have to share God's love, and his light to all. Because where God has you and who he has surrounded you with, all part of his plan. Let's become more relatable to those who are around us by letting them know who we represent. That every day, wherever you go, wherever you say, wherever you do, you get to represent Christ and his message. And you'll be so, so surprised, people, if you were to supply these three points in being invitational, intentional, and invigorating, you'd be so surprised that could impact someone's life. I'm not saying you have to go and learn the whole Bible. I'm not saying you have to go to Bible college. I'm just asking you to get out of your own head and out of your own way and start looking to others and consider those around you. And pray to God today if you are a Christ follower, God, how can you use me today? How can I be used to share your message to others? And how can we also challenge the misconception that the church and Christians are not relatable. Where we now, as the church in Ireland today, Lighthouse Church, with our church only, we can only focus on that. We can be a church here in, in Dublin and in Navin and in Dock. We can be the kind of church I could say, hey, we, we relate to you. We see you. We understand where you're coming from. This place, you're welcome. 
this message you can experience. This is who we are. This is Lighthouse. This is the gospel. So I want to encourage you, Christians, and challenge you at the same time. Consider who's around you and how can you invigorate their lives and how can you relate to them. And if you're here today and you are a skeptic or someone who's on the fence or someone who is not sure about this thing called Christianity, maybe you have had those preconceptions or misconceptions of who ch what church is and who Christians are, I would encourage you today after service, don't, don't walk out too fast. Stick around, have a tea and coffee. Talk to some of the people here. And quickly you will realize that we're just an ordinary bunch of people who've encountered an extraordinary God. That what's different about us from us to you is that we have encountered a real God. And all we want to do is tell others how it changed our life. Matthew said it. You don't have to do this. Like, why else would you get out of your bed on a Sunday morning? Come on. Like, today, the World Cup's on. You know what I mean? Premier League. There's so much stuff happening. You walk your dog. Walk, walk your cat. Walk your cat. You can do whatever you want. But we be here because we want to be here. Because we believe in this message. And we believe in the church. That now more than ever, the church can impact this nation. You are the church. And you can impact them. Amen? And I invite you to stand. We're going to go into a response song right now. And as we sing this song, I want to really just, again, encourage you today to listen to these lyrics and, and most importantly pray about this message and ask the question, where are you on the spectrum? First of all, if you're a Christian, where are you? Are you, are you being invitational? Are you being inviting how you walk, how you talk? Are you being intentional where you are, where you work? And finally, are you being invigorating? Are you being life-giving or are you being life-sucking? Are you playing, par playing the part of changing the narrative of what the church is known for? Or is helping aid everything that everyone thinks is already true? And for the people in the room who don't know God, I pray in this moment, as you just close your eyes, by yourself, no one's looking, it's a dark room, that you would consider God. Consider this message that I've told you that God's not mad at you. God is not mad at you at all. Rather, he's madly in love with you much more than you think. And this is the right place, the right time to open your heart to him and say, God, I received this love. Amen. Can you, can you